Debbie holds on to everything. I got nothing from the past. I mean, God wipes this thing clean, my slate clean, every month, every morning. So it's 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 a gift. It's a curse, too, because I, you may say, hey, you remember when? I go, mm, man, I don't remember that. <laughs> I mean, I just don't remember. I just, it's, clean, it's gone. Uh, so, so anyway, I, 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 uh, this pastor internalized everything. He got just, a, just so much, so much was going on in the church, and he was making decisions that in hindsight were working against him. And so he called me in his office one day, and he was like, I'm the full-time youth pastor here, and he calls me in. He says, look, I'm thinking about doing this and this and this. What do you think? I said, well, he said, and then he said, and I'm trying to decide whether I should resign. I said, well, all these lead up to the resignation. He said, I don't know. He said, I, it may. I said, I think that's like cutting the monkey tail off a little at a time. I, I, don't, think, I don't think you're doing yourself any favors. He had ma- massive ulcers that he was dealing with. I said, bro, get out. God, God don't want you to die in ministry. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm young and dumb, but I, I mean, I knew, I didn't think God called me to die in ministry. I'm just going to tell y'all. I mean, I understand persecution, but I, I ain't going to kill myself. I, I mean, he was killing himself. And so at about 26 to 27 there, uh, years of age, he resigns. They asked me if I'll be the pastor. And so I was, I was doing, I, I was, I was children's youth pastor. I would do children's church in the mornings before service, during Sunday school. Leave that, go into the main service to preach, and then do the Sunday night, and then do youth on Wednesday night. And I nearly killed myself, literally, nearly killed myself. A new pastor came, though, and during that time, there was some real struggles with me and him, and it was really probably things I was doing that created it, but... uh, Long story short, I just knew it was time to resign, and so we resigned, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, just wait. And so we worked and waited, and and a church opened up just a month later in South Alabama. Greatest thing probably ever happened in my life. I went to Centenary Assembly of God in Centenary, a little community outside of what would some say Luverne is actually outside of Rutledge. If you know any of that area down there, that is... That's L.A. right there. I mean, that's Lower Alabama is what that is. And uh, and I was I pastored there for four years and ten months. Loved it. Was the longest anybody had stayed there prior to two times before. Pastored just I mean, pastored there for his life. And so then felt I was sitting in a service in Huntsville, uh, in Decatur actually at a. Um, First Assembly there in Decatur, Brother George Sawyer, pastor there. And I remember sitting there, and the pastor of New Life was sitting in front of me, David Rayleigh, and he got voted in to be the, the, the uh, youth director for the state of Alabama. And when he did, uh, everybody applauding everything, he goes up and he comes back, and the first thing he does when he walks with you, he says, you need to send a resume to New Life. And I just laughed at him. I said, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm pretty good where I'm at. I'm good. And then for a week, I couldn't get away from it. And then David calls me two weeks later and says, hey, you need to send a, a, a resume. Jody Libran, who is a lady we know well, was attending New Life, had given our name to the board. She was in my ministry when I was a youth pastor and in all the other jobs I served in in Leeds. 
I said, okay, let me pray about it. So I went on a week and then finally sent one in. And long story short, 27 years later, I, I, I resigned from and retired from pastoral ministry in that role there. And we did that because Debbie and I still got a lot of life left. And we've got a lot of ministry left. But we knew we were at a place. I, so, so I'm going to give you a philosophy of ministry that I have. If you're a challenge to me and I'm a challenge to you, ministry can happen but when i quit being a challenge to you and you quit being a challenge to me ministry won't happen and we had reached a moment we felt like in our ministry at new life where the challenge was gone and i don't know if it was us i don't know if it was the church there is there there are scriptures that talk about becoming familiar with stuff and i think that there was a familiarity had set in and when that did, we recognized immediately, oh, wow, we need to get out of the way because God wants to do something. And so we a month prayed about when, prayed about when. And on a, on a Monday morning, May the 13th, clear as a bell, I woke up, walked into my office. I always got there before everybody else, which wasn't hard. Uh, but I got there early and uh, I was sitting there and, so another philosophy of ministry I have is if you're gonna if you're gonna do the body right, the first week that you go in, I teach this to all the guys that I've mentored, the first week that you go into a pastorate, you should sit down that week and write a resignation. That's because you're at a high point. Talk about all the things that's good, talk about all the positive things. Because if you don't and you do it in the bad times, you're gonna burn some bridges. And so I was in that moment, and I was sitting there, and it's like the Lord said, get, the res- get your resignation out. And I reached and got it out of the drawer from 27 years ago and looked at it, and he said, now put this in it. And I put it in, and he said, Turn, do it today, because we had an elders meeting that night. And um, so I said, okay, and so my youth pastor got there, and we went through the day. And I'd call, I, I actually didn't even call Debbie. I texted her. I said, I think I'm supposed to resign today. What do you think? You know what she said? Absolutely. So she knew it as clear as I did. And uh, she probably thought I should have done it six months ago. <laughs> no, no, no. No, she was patient. She's very patient with me. I'm, I like waiting on the Lord, guys. I can wait, and I can wait. Listen, if I got anything out of hunting, I learned how to sit and wait and listen and watch. If I learned anything in my life from my father growing up about life, you give it time, it'll happen. Things will happen. And God's timing happens if you wait on it. And so that was his timing. We resigned, turned around, and on the the 15th, two days after I turned my resignation in on Wednesday, I get a call from a builder who wants to hire me as a project manager. And I've told you all this. I went in and worked with him for six months and then started my company the first of the year. I say all that to say we got relationships. Well, we got tons of relationships. God's been so good to us. We know people all over the place. We've been fortunate not to burn too many bridges. I actually, we haven't burned any. Leeds contacted me about pastoring them one time. I, Centenary brought me back when they were out of a pastor for a while at the end of last year. There's just We got great relationships everywhere we've been. We're going to have that here. Uh, we're just we're just excited about what the Lord's doing, which leads me to part of what I want to say tonight. Next week we're going to be gone. 
So next Sunday, we're not going to be here because of a relationship that we have. So we have a young guy that started, got saved in our church. His name's Alan Kendrick. Alan followed my oldest son to Southwestern. Basically, that would be the way I termed it. He, he didn't know what he should do, and he loved my oldest son so much. He said, I'm going to go to Southwestern out there where Matt is. So he goes out there. Matt stayed three years and left. He finished out and got his degree, went to Southern California and pastored. It was a youth and then a young, young couple's pastor. He was, he was their college and career pastor and young married couple's pastor for, I don't know how many years, five, six, several years. And he felt all of a sudden, I'm supposed to plant a church. They started praying him and his wife. And God shoots him all the way over to Lexington, uh, South Carolina. And he launches next Sunday. And so since, since January the 1st, we've, we've let, our company has been blessed, what we do. And I've been helping support him. And he's contacted us about being out there Saturday evening for a special event for all the people that are workers and volunteers. And then the Sunday morning, they have three services planned. He's already filled the first service. They have to, like most places, a lot of the places now, they, uh, I think Gardendale First Baptist does it. You have to go in and you have to register for a service. You have to, you have to you know, get your name in it. And so he's registered one full service, second was almost full, third one's filling up, and so they're getting ready for their first day, a big day. And so we get to go out and be with them. So we're going to be gone next Sunday. I wanted you to know that. Um, know that you're going to be in our prayers. Know also that I have put, I've asked Brother Roy, and he probably contacted Donna, or who? Who'd, he con who'd you contact? Oh, yeah. And she put my phone number in the bulletin. So if you'll look over in the bulletin, if you got one from this morning, or if you need my number, find the bulletin. It's my cell phone. You reach me 24 hours a day. If you reach me late at night, you're lucky because I sleep hard. But other than that, it, I mean, Facebook Debbie, she's probably on, she probably gets a notice at midnight. She hears everything, but... uh. Uh, no, if you have an emergency, you need to talk to someone. I talked with someone this morning about, they said, hey, my, my wife and I love to sit down and do some marriage counseling. I said, I'd love to do that. Love to do it. So Debbie and I, we're available. We put our cell phone number in there. Call us for anything. If it's within our means, we will address it, help you with it. Uh, we want to be here for you. Uh, we're not in any way trying to replace Pastor Jerry and Miss Mary, but we are here to serve the church, and by serving the church, we serve them. So, so we're we're available to you. So, if you need us, you call us, and we'll do everything we can to help out with that. Um, you need to say anything? You do. I know.
You should make notes. You should have prayer. I will. And she makes notes and never looks at them. She just gets up and flows in the spirit. And I'm like, I'm so jealous of that, but I'm like, gosh, honey. So anyway, <laughs> I'm messing with her. Uh, we want to keep praying for Brother Jerry this morning, agreeing with the prayer that we prayed this morning. I want to keep up lifting up Grant. He's going in for the bone marrow transplant. We'll remember that and keep that close to our hearts and his mom and those involved. I know there's other requests and prayers that were lifted up, but we, we just want to hold close to our hearts. And we just want to give all that to the Lord. We just want to trust him. That's what this is about. So we're going to talk about trust a little bit tonight, if I can. We taught this morning, if you'll allow me, I'm going to sort of give a, a, I'm going to back up and sort of get us back up to speed on what we were thinking this morning. We made the statement that no matter our circumstances, it takes faith to follow God. You've got to, you've got to, <clears throat> you've got to engage through faith. You've got to engage God through faith. And, and that's a step of following. It's a step of saying yes to him. Um, and I gave you a list of people. I, I'm not going to take time to go over that list. We talked about Noah, Abraham, all the things that, you know, that were unique about each one of them, that if we looked at their life and we looked at their history, there would be things that would make us go, ooh, you know, uh, how, how could God use them, and yet God used them. And so we said of that, no matter what our circumstances are, whether there's outside influence against our faith or decisions and choices we made or didn't make that's internal in us, the fact is it takes faith to follow God. And that's the challenge is putting our faith in him and following him. And so this morning through that, I said all of us have our faults, but the Lord will use us if we will have faith to follow him in his lead and what he's saying to us. So we talked about this morning from Mark 10 and the rich young ruler, one of the killers of faith, one of the things I think that, 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 that kills our faith that it starts, uh, and that is doubt. Um, I gave you the image of him coming up, falling before Jesus on his knees, saying to him in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, good teacher, Remember he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we said in that statement that there was this idea from him that is being said, I've got all this stuff, but it's not doing me any good. I have everything on earth that I could have, it seems like, but it's not going to get me what I really need. So, so all my possessions won't buy me eternal life. So what do I have to do to inherit it? You know, I want to inherit eternal So what do I have to do that? And, of course, if you recall, we talked about him saying, it literally interrupting Jesus after Jesus names the big six and saying, uh, teacher, I've obeyed all those command, all these commands since I was young. And so my question becomes, how many of you know that Jesus expects more from us than just obeying a set of rules? I mean, he expects more from us than just obeying a bunch of rules that are out there. Because the rules were designed to guide us to something, to lead us to something. The Ten Commandments were designed to lead people into a relationship with God. Jesus came, became the fulfillment of that, and now there's this, 
there's this human, there's this living son of God that opens up the doorway for us to enter into a relationship with God by which we can fulfill the rules. Because outside of that, it was near impossible to keep the rules. If you know much about the rules, you know that if you go back to the Old Testament times, it said that there were over 400, there was near 415 rules that they were given, commands that they had to live by. Who can live by the 10, much less 415, right? I mean, we're going to mess up. And so they had to always make atonement for the sins and all. But then Jesus comes along and says, I'm the fulfillment. Look, just know me. Just love me. Just trust me. I'll walk you through this. I can get you through this. So we pick up our text back in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read 20 through 22 to you again and just sort of get us on track for this second pillar. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him there's still one thing you haven't done he told him go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me and at this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions so here's the question to start off can you see what jesus saw here just imagine what he saw when this moment took place because i don't i don't i couldn't see it until i really took time through prayer and study to understand what was happening here. The guy's weakness was his faith, okay, no doubt. He had put his faith, he'd put his trust, say trust. He'd put his trust in the things that he had owned, that he had, his possessions. And so he wasn't willing to put his trust in the Lord. It wasn't that he wasn't willing. It was that he wasn't willing, but it was more so that he, he couldn't see how the Lord could replace that that he had. Hebrews eleven six makes this statement. It is impossible to please him, talking about God, without faith. So here's the next killer. The next faith killer, I think, and we see it in this story. I'll explain it to you. We'll talk in depth about it and even apply it to our lives, is the idea of misplaced trust. The next faith killer that, that surfaces in this story is misplaced trust, all right? So how I, would res- how I would get this thought of misplaced trust, your thoughts flowing around it, would be with this question, who or what do you trust? Who or what do you trust? Um, And based off of your answer, I trust the Lord, okay? So I counter that statement with this. How would your daily activities support your answer? I trust the Lord. How, what is the evidence in your daily routine, your daily activity that supports that answer, that reinforces to everyone who sees you, they trust the Lord? Because, I mean, that's, you know, I, I learned a long time ago. There's, man, I got stories, guys. I got stories. I got stories stuffed in every pocket. And, you know, I mean. So we're at, we're at New Life. You may, some of y'all may remember the story. It was big, big news. We were at New Life. Had been there for, I don't know how many years. What was it? Brenda. Two years? Three? I'm trying to remember the date in it 
We hadn't been there long. I mean, we hadn't been there long. Uh, there was a lady in our church was our women's ministries director. She, 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 on January the 28th of that year, came up missing. Disappeared. She'd gone through a divorce. Her husband lived out in a building on the property. She got up that morning. The kids had gone to school. She got up, and when she was supposed to be at a meeting, she didn't show up. We got, they started looking for her, couldn't find her. And, um, on, on April the 30th of that year, they found her body in the Coosa River, wrapped in sheets off of the bed that was her in her basement, uh, or her, her, her bed, and uh, chains around her, and she was in, they had pulled water from the, from the Lay Lake, from the Coosa River, from the Lay Lake system, getting ready for rain, and fishermen were fishing, and they saw it when they were casting, and they pulled up to it and find her body. Um, I say all that to say when they went through all the process trying to figure out who had done it, you know, they, they felt like it was her husband, all the evidence pointed to that, which was not much evidence except what was on her body. And uh, so the defense created a narrative that made it me. And so they put me in the narrative. And by doing that, I couldn't go to the trial. They were going to use me as the counter for what was happening. So, I, I mean, I had to go through lie detector tests. I had to do all kinds of stuff. I had to prove where I was. I, had, I mean, I was at Children's Hospital that morning when it happened. I didn't remember that two days afterwards. <laughs> I've been this way all my life, y'all. They said, where were you? Man, I got no clue. <laughs> it took my brother-in-law calling saying, you were at Children's with us. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, man, I'm glad you remember that. Right? I mean, it was crazy. Uh, I, I, I say all that to say, look, who you are doesn't belong to you. It belongs to everybody that you know. I mean, who you are, I mean, it really doesn't belong to you. You need to work on who you are, but what everybody else perceives is the reality of you. What everybody else sees is what you are, because that's what everybody says. And so, in this guy, in this story right here, the fact is where we place our trust can be a fate killer for us. Again, there's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I reinforce that by saying the only time things become wrong is when we misplace our trust in them and not in the Lord. Literally, God's not against riches. He's not against wealth. He's not against possessions. He's not against any of that. Look, I mean, I'm thrilled if you own a boat. I'm thrilled if you have a beautiful house with land. I'm thrilled over that. Debbie and I closed on a house Wednesday, actually, that we've been finally found that we're going to close out our, our purchase on. There's things like that. There's nothing wrong with those. And Brother Roy and I was talking about this before service. As long as it doesn't become what we trust in. If, I, if I'm not trusting in that, you know, as long as I'm willing to do what? Sell. Sell out to him, you know. Um, who, who's to say this guy would not have been a hundred times more rich if he would have sold all and followed Christ? But, so, so the issue is us. It's in us. When, when we look at this, is there evidence in my life, I have to ask myself this question constantly, is there evidence in my life that I won't misplace my trust in the things that I gather? 
can, I'll say it a different way. Can God trust me with something? Can, can God trust me with things? Can God, can it, God trust me to not put my trust in those things? Uh, uh, Mark 10, 21 and 22. Listen to this again. There's still one thing you haven't done. Of course, he says, sell it all, basically. He said, told him specifically what to do. Sell it all, give the, give the rest away, then come follow me. I believe I believe Christ knew what would happen here. I, I'm, he's, he's, he's man, but he's God. Jesus had discernment. He saw and had genuine love for this man, but he knew the challenge that he would face with it. I don't know what happens to him beyond this story. I'm hoping and praying, you know, I, I, I be, you know just like I would for anybody today. If they get up and walk away, I believe God for, for a breakthrough, something to happen to cause them to see it and to hear it. Man, what a powerful song about the mountain. Amen. Because it tells the story. It sort of tells the story of our life right there. That, you know, sometimes we have to face those mountains because those mountains are what put us back in line with them, you know. They get us back to them. Um, he couldn't do it. This guy, the rich young ruler, couldn't sell what he had and give it to the poor. His, why? Because his security and trust was in his things. It was in his possessions. He had many, the scripture says. So the rich young ruler got up from his knees and left sad. He turned his back on the call of God. And the Bible says he went away sad for he had many possessions. So he wasn't sad. Here's what I want you to understand. He wasn't sad over his money. He still had all of it. He wasn't sad over his land or his houses or his servants. He wasn't sad over the cattle that he had on all the hills that he owned. He wasn't sad over that. So what was he sad about? Here's my thoughts on that. He was sad over his mistrust in Jesus. He was sad over what could have been. He had to know that there was something more. He, he wouldn't have come and dropped on his knees and asked how to, how to inherit eternal life. He was sad because he turned down eternal life the eternal life that he was seeking for the temporal life that he had. He was sad because he gave up, literally gave up on his own faith, his own opportunity to believe. You talk about choices. He chose to walk away from Jesus. Please, please, please don't walk away from Jesus. Don't let anything happen that causes you to think, I, I'm good. You're not. Amen. So in terms of things, let's let's get into this a little bit. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna use one example. It's gonna be like the preacherest, the, the most preacher example that you've ever heard in your life. You ready? I mean, if a preacher's ever used this before, if you've never heard it, you're new at church. In terms of things, you ready? What is God required of us? That either proves our heart is his or proves there's misplaced trust in his will for us or his plan for us. What has God required of us that either proves our heart is his or it proves there's misplaced trust because we don't do it? Anybody want to take a shot? Huh? That's it. Your money. The same as a rich young ruler. Good job. Try. 
His tithe. The tithe. I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's the, when you look in the scripture, you either faithfully give your tithe or you're giving every excuse for not trusting him with this thing. Because the tithe is his. The scripture says non-negotiable. It's, it belongs to him. I'm going to read to you from Malachi. I want you to hear it so that it's not just me talking. Verse 8 says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. You're under a curse for our, your whole nation's been cheating me. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I like him called that, don't you? The Lord of heaven's armies. Now, that's different than Lord because that puts him in a place of authority. I mean, that's pretty cool. He's identified uniquely in this passage. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't, ha you won't have enough room to take it in, try it, put Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And you think, that's Old Testament. Say, so I'm, I'm ready for you tonight. That's Old Testament. Okay, okay, okay. Matthew 23, 23. You ready? You should tithe. Period. I don't, I don't even have to read anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole thing to you, but I, I, I want you to hear it. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees? So, hypocrites. Boom. He slaps them right there. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, which are what? Justice, mercy, and faith. So what makes up what we do as believers is capsulated right here in this passage. And that is, we should live based off of justice, mercy, and faith. Everything that we do. So justice is super important. Why? Because it creates a law, a structure, an order by which things happen. Mercy is incredibly important. Why? Because it becomes the balancer of justice. And faith is what? It's our belief that God's involved in all that. So that's great. But all of a sudden he says, now you should tithe. Thought we were clear of that. No, no, you should tithe. Why? Because it belongs to him. But do not neglect the more important things. Don't, don't, don't. So, so this is bigger than tithe. We said that in the beginning. This is bigger than a bunch of rules. I just don't believe I'm supposed to give a tenth of my income to the Lord. Well, that's fine. Don't believe that. I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that I should give as I, as I see need. Well, Jesus, that's way more than 10%. That's awesome. Amen. Amen. That's way more than 10%. Good Lord. Come on. I mean, it's everything. I mean, you ain't got nothing left now. I'd go back to the 10%, I'm just telling you. Listen to what he says 
to the rich young ruler after he leaves. It's in Mark 10, 28 through 30. Then Peter, being who Peter is, guys, I love him, but boy, that guy had a mouth on him. He just couldn't keep quiet. He, you know what? So I'm, I got all, I'm, I'll make another confession. My sisters always accuse me of being a know-it-all. So it's only fitting that I sort of fit the image of Peter in a lot of ways. Up just spouting off because I think I'm right. And I usually am, so. <laughs> and I got scripture to back me up tonight, so I'm good. So here you go, here you go. Watch this. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything for you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property, for my sake and for the good news, We'll receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Along with persecution. I mean, let's just go ahead and be honest. There's going to be some hard times. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So what did he do right here? He said, look, you all just witnessed the challenge in the heart of a man. It is that we misplace our trust, and when we do, the, the challenge becomes letting go of all that, selling out, and following me. Oh, Peter, <laughs> we got that. I did it, Lord. I left everything. I mean, my, my fishing company is, 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 is washed up. I mean, I left it all. I got, I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you are. Yeah. I mean, Jesus knew everything, so he knew where Peter was headed. Y'all know that, you know. I mean, he knew he's going to whack an ear, and he's going to have to heal it, and he's going to deny him. And I mean, there's a lot Peter didn't realize was going on right here when Jesus looked at him and smiled. Don't you appreciate people who just let you be you and love you through it? Oh. Uh, just let you be you and love you through it, knowing, man, if you only knew. Well, Jesus did that right here. But the, the good news is this. This guy thought that he had to give up everything and be poor all of his life, and he couldn't handle that. And Jesus points that out, basically. But that's not what Jesus was saying right here. He was saying Jesus wanted to make sure that he had this guy's heart. He was saying if you... If you can't sell out, if you can't let go, then I, I can't, you can't take home. You, I can't get you to where I'm trying to get you. I can't have your whole heart if you only half-heartedly follow me. It'd be easy to argue this was a good man, but here's the fact. Jesus isn't happy with us just being good. He wants our heart. He tells his disciples, I assure you that everyone who has given up anything, so we named all that stuff, and I'm going to put the word anything there, for my sake and for the good news, will receive now, say now, now in return a hundred times as many of those same things, okay, that you just let go of. He renames them all again. So, so we interpret that that we'll receive it in heaven. But Jesus didn't say that. He says, and that, so this is what we want to get through tonight. Okay, this is what I want you to hear. Because this is already happening for you. You may not have thought about it. 
He says, everyone who gives up land, houses, family, anything for my sake and the good news will receive now, 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 now. So my question is, what's now mean? Now means what? Doesn't mean next week, next month, next year, does it? It means now. It means this moment. It means this service. It means now, now, now. I mean, you got to get this. You got to understand what's being said here. I mean, I gave up a house, a property, a career, being close to my family. I gave all that up for the call of God. We give up things because we trust God. We give up things because we sell out to him. So we give it up. I give it up, Lord. I want you and you alone. I follow you anywhere, everywhere. I am yours. So let me do the multiplication here real quick. Now, my house is your house and your house is my house. Now, my family is your family and your family is my family. Stay with me here. Now, your children are my children, my children are your children. And thank God mine's grown. <laughs> Somebody with small children say amen. <laughs> Got more parents. Well, how do we how do we approach raising kids in our church? Buddy, when we did when we would when we would uh, take and dedicate a child, we'd have the entire church involved and we'd say to everybody, as we prepare to dedicate. We stand with these parents as parents for these children, and we will be involved throughout. Now, your property is my property, my property is your property. Your time's mine, mine's yours. Pain, shared. Joy, shared. You say, where do you get that from? Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Go to Acts chapter 2. Listen to this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. They shared time, talent, possessions. They shared it, shared it, shared it. What's mine, yours? What's yours, mine? Shared it. There was agreement. There was family. There was one. I know, I know, I know, I know. Some of you won't trust your child with nothing. You can't. Something happened in them. I get that. I get that. I know, I know, I know. My middle son, I love him to death, but we don't have a charging cable for an iPhone in our house. He comes visit, tell him to charge my phone. Next thing you know, he's taking that thing home. He's married and got my grandchild. I can't do a lot about it. I, you know what I do? I just go steal it back. <laughs> so that, that's a little joke there about Michael. But, but the good thing is he knows if it's mine, it's his, and he knows if it's his, it's mine. Hey, Dad, that shot back I borrowed, I'm going to run by and get it. I said, okay. He said, when you need it back? I said, does it matter? 
He laughed out loud. Just thought that was the biggest thing. He said, okay, I'm coming to get it. With family. That's what family does, right? I mean, I'm, I got, I'm a hundred times what I would have been if I would have been on my own. I'm a hundred times what I, possessing what I would have possessed if I'd been by myself. A hundred times, way more than that. Man, I've been, I've been all over the place. I got friends in Nepal and Ecuador and Honduras. We got, me, Kendra's brother here. Me and Austin got friends and, and we, we've been on mission trips, so we, we know. I mean, there, if we had to have life somewhere else, we could go there and have it, couldn't we? Because we know people there. Look, we are family. We are united through trust in the Lord. And so it's all about what he's doing here is he's saying to us, look, this is bigger than you. According to this scripture, what is now today? Now is returning to God's word, to fellowship and prayer. You hear me, evangelist? That's, that's, that's our next step. We need to, we've got to, we've got to be sure that we're in God's word. We need to begin to create fellowship opportunities where we unite together. I had a great time last Sunday night, just sitting in there and talking and having a good time, watching the youth getting ready to go play volleyball because I was not getting out of that hot bath. But it was really cool over there, and there's a lot of chicken fingers, and I had a great time that day. <laughs> Fellowship time and prayer, united, committed, prayer. Now is God performing signs and wonders through united faith. Now, if we'll agree in prayer, God will do miracles for us. God will do miracles for us. God will show himself to us and perform miracles for us. Now is us gathering in one place and sharing what we have. Whatever that is, we give tithes tonight. It may be offerings that we need. It may be planning how, we, how, how, how Evangel does the fall festival this year. It, it, it's, it's, but, but united together. Sharing, anything can happen. Now is us gathering in homes, breaking bread together, sharing meals, showing our generosity to one another. According to this scripture, now is the time for all those who are lost to be saved. It, it says in that, each day the Lord added to their fellowships those that were being saved. How many of y'all would like to see somebody saved every day? I mean, I'd be fine with one a week coming to know Christ in this church. That would be exceptional. I mean, that's not enough. We don't, we don't turn the tide at that number. But that would be awesome. But are we believing for that? Do we trust him for that? Are the activities that others see us doing supporting that belief? Now, 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 now. So how do you establish trust? By giving up. How do you, how do, how do you, how do you overcome doubt? Sell out. How do you establish trust? Give. Give everything. Give everything. 
heart, soul, mind, strength. Give everything that you're made of to the cause of Christ. Give, 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 give your old thoughts to him. Give your new dreams to him. Give him everything. Give him your hopes, your aspirations. Give him everything. I'll close with a story right quick. I read this about a, a performer, a guy named Garth Brooks. Some of y'all probably never heard of him. He was very popular when I was in seminary. He's dear to my heart because I, I worked, I was pastoring full-time down there, but the guy, one of the guys in the church was a farmer, and he always needed help, and he always paid help. So I always found time to help him because I, I, I'm one of these guys I always thought you'd never have enough income. But anyway, uh, so I would get on his tractor and help work. He, he had three or four tractors, and he always would let me drive the cab tractor because I figured out how I could take the car seat take a rubber strap and fasten it to the wall and put Matt, my oldest son, in it, strap him in and work a whole day with him riding in that cab tractor with me. <laughs> Stop long enough to change him and feed him, buddy. Matt Wooten's first song he ever learned to sing was what? You remember? Achy Breaky Heart. He could sing that song. I'm sorry, what? It is a little embarrassing, ain't it? <laughs> oh, he could sing that song. People say, sing for it now. Oh, don't break my heart. He just break it. Oh, man, he sing that song. Oh, my gosh, it was the best. I mean, he, I mean, he, you know, I mean, he was tiny. Oh, gosh. Oh. Anyway, back to Garth Brooks. <laughs> I, re I read where he was performing in Oklahoma one time, Oklahoma City. And as he was performing, he noticed a commotion happening down in the front of the stage, down in the, down in the crowd. And he, 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 he couldn't tell what it was. So as he come to sort of a, a transition in a song, and he realized that there was this guy had gotten on his knee and proposed to his fiance right down in the front, right in the front. I mean, now what a what a plan here, you know. I hope she says yes. <laughs> he gets down and he he's taking her to her Garth Brooks concert. I, my first thought on that is, if she loved Garth Brooks that much, I, I would she even notice what was happening, you know? But undoubtedly, she did and. And he proposed to her, and she had said yes, and Garth realized what's going on, and he stops the concert, stops it, and he calls them out. He said, come here. And they're like, who? And he said, you too. And they walk up, and they said, what's your names? And he tells them their, their, name, his, their names, and he says, it, it, this is exactly what happened. He said, he, said, he said, my wife and I, which was Trisha Yearwood, We'll pay for your honeymoon if you'll go to Hawaii. Right there on the spot, in, fr in, in front of thousands. And of course, you know what they did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hawaii, here we come. You know, I mean, who wouldn't head to Hawaii? Come on. So I asked in the beginning, who or what do you trust today? 
How would your daily activity support your answer? What's the one thing you haven't done he requires of you? Is there anything he's asked of you that you haven't done? And so here's a thought. The couple that Garth Brooks gave the trip to couldn't do both. You say, both what? Think about his offer. He'd pay, but you got to go to Hawaii. I'll pay if you'll go to Hawaii. So here's my question. Did that make him gracious or demanding? Did that make Garth Brooks generous or demanding? Gracious or demanding? Either word you want to put there. What did that make him? He gave the couple no explanation for insisting that they go to Hawaii. They could accept his generosity or they could question his motive. Everyone here has already laughed and said, man, no question the motive. I'm headed to Hawaii. We'd accept the offer, accept the offer. Because why? Because we believe Garth Brooks can afford what to do what he said he would do. What does that say about our view of God? Do you believe he has your best interest in mind? Do you believe that he can do what he says he'll do? This rich young ruler, for some reason, couldn't bridge that gap over trusting that God's plan for him was greater than the existence that he had on this earth. And that on this earth, it would ever, never, could ever match what he had. Did that make did that make Jesus demanding? Did that make Jesus sell it, sell out, give it the rest away and come follow me? Did that make him unreasonable? Un- I mean, what did that make him? It made him who we know him to be, our Lord. One who's able, but who wants all wants relationship more than anything. Do you believe you can trust him with all you have? With all with, with your heart, with your heart, where all of who you are flows out of when you talk. The scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaks. With your mind, where all of the processes of tomorrow are happening now. With your soul, which is eternal, which will live on beyond your death, Jesus or no Jesus choose to follow, choose not to. Your soul is going to live. You get to choose where. You trusted him with your strength. Can you believe him for healing? Can you believe him for, for strength? 
misplaced trust killed this rich young ruler's heart. It, it did the same thing to us. I go back to a statement that we've heard probably plenty of times. And I, 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 look, you don't walk by sight, you walk by faith. We want to see it before we do it. got to trust you got to trust him you've got you've got to put faith in him you have to trust jesus now <laughs> so how, how does that how do we form this into an offering that's pure. And my answer to that is we all commit to trust. You know, I used to always wonder and think to myself, and I had friends who would question it and all that stuff, but um, there are denominations and religions and all that sort of practice, I say sort of, it, it is practice where they, I mean, you know, every every day there's a prayer for, of repentance for sin, uh, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, I'm just saying that God wants to help you overcome, he wants to help you get to the place that you can live out Jesus through you. And get victory over the things that you keep repenting over. Is that fair? Okay. Um, but I'm not against them doing what they do and teaching it the way they do teach because I think I think I do it, except I do it in a different way. I don't focus so much on the things I'm doing wrong. I try to focus on things I need to be doing right. Can I say it that way? And so I constantly think about how do I trust you more, Lord? Not how do I get victory over these sins in my life? I think the more I trust him, the more victory I'm going to get over the sins, the weaknesses, the, the failures. So, so I guess what I'm saying to you tonight is what an altering experience will be for, for evangel. It's when we all say, Lord, we're trusting you. Not that you haven't, but that we make a commitment maybe even for the week to say daily, wake up in the morning, think about it at noonday, before you go to bed tomorrow night. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Miss Mary, that will change things for you. Because I know you trust him. But just hearing yourself declare it and having your enemy who's at war with you right now hear it will change things. It'll change the spiritual dynamic that you're caught up in. Okay? Lord, I trust you. And then the more we tell ourselves that, the more we pray that, the more we declare it, because it's more than a prayer. It is a declaration. I mean, it is a prayer, Lord, I trust you, but, but it's, 
it's a declaration to your enemy. I trust the Lord in whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he'll keep that which I've committed to him. I'm persuaded that. I'm convinced of that totally. I remember one of the first, and as soon as I say this, I'm going to forget it. But anyway, one of the first verses I memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lay not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll direct your paths, right? So that's one of the first verses I memorized. I had the guy who was discipling me said, you need to memorize. You need to get this. You need to say this constantly. And so I, I remember as, as a young believer, as I moved forward in life, I remember the more I thought that, the more I saw it come true, and the more I found that he has directed every path, even when I didn't even know I was off path. You know what I'm saying? He was involved in leading and directing. So what's our altering experience in all? What do we do? We all say, Lord, I trust. I mean, I got stuff, I got some things, I got possessions, but you know what, Lord, I, I, they're not mine, they're everybody's. Now I understand they're everybody's, they're, for, they're yours ultimately, Lord, that's what we're saying when we say that, right? Right? And we're saying, Lord, this is your house, this is your, these are your tools, this is, I mean, this is all yours. It's all yours. I've surrendered it all to you. However you want to use it, use it. And so that means that he, if, he, if he wakes you up in the morning at 2 a.m. and says, okay, I want to use your house. I want you to lead a small group. Don't run and get on the bed. <laughs> Realize it belongs to him. You belong to him. And he's fixing to do something dynamic. Amen? That doesn't really fit my personality. He's not going to use your personality. He's going to use his personality through you. I mean, that's going to be a little strange, but it's going to be good. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying here? Now, we're all in this, and we all have to trust. And when we do that, the Scripture said miracles will happen. I mean, we... I, Dr. K said, said there was a prophecy over this church that it'll be an end-time church. You know what an end-time church is going to do? It's going to be a Book of Acts church. It's going to be a church where the dynamic spirit work happens and miracles and signs and wonders are going to happen. And for that to happen, we've got to go back to some stuff. We've got to go, we've got to redig God's word. We've got to dig deeper into it and apply it to our lives in a very powerful way. We've got a fellowship in a way that is unheard of, which is to where that what's mine is yours and yours is mine. It's it's a fellowship of family is what it is. And then we got to pray. Those are the things that the scripture says. I'm just giving you what the scripture says. Creates the opportunity for the miraculous to happen. Amen. So get up and come up to the altar with me. Come on. Everybody. Let's stand up here together. Hallelujah. Amen. I burned Barry. He didn't even go to the piano. No, no, I'm kidding with you. I'm kidding with you. No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding with you. I'm glad you're down here. I want you down here. 
You need. I can call you closer. Don't do it unless you, if you want to social distance. <laughs> Doctor Keck laughing at me. <laughs> oh, that's it. Come on. Oh man. Glory to God. I want you to look at somebody right now and say, "Man." What'd you just do? You just said, hey, we're in this together. We're in this together. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to sing, but we can sure get along better if we work together. Amen. Now. Yeah, now. Yeah. And, and what now means to us is, man, God, I'm trusting you. I'm totally trusting you. I'm totally committed to whatever it is that you want to do in me, through me, for me, to me, everything. Heart, mind, soul is trusting you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's, let me pray over you, okay? Father, we just come to you, God. <laughs> now, now, in this altar, we're looking for you to alter us. We don't want to lose sight that the purpose of the altar is a sacrifice. It's a place where something is sacrificed. And so tonight, we sacrifice, we give our dreams, our hopes, our aspirations, we give our families, our homes, our possessions, we place it all on this altar and make sacrifice to you, Lord, by saying, now, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you with tomorrow. I trust you with my wife and my husband. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my finances. I trust you, Lord. It's all yours now. I give it all to you. Use it however you want. If it needs to be spread out, spread it out. Show me how to do it. If it needs to be bundled up, show me how to bundle it up. If I need to give something to someone, I'm ready. I, I, I yield to that, God. Whatever it is, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. We say, I trust you, Lord, because we know that you, your plan is perfect. It is without flaw. It, your will is, is perfect. It has us in mind, but it has more than us. It has all those who are out there that are hurting, that we're in contact with. Austin's world and my world cross right here, right now. But Austin world extends into this community. It extends into families and people, God, that I'll never see. And so I pray for every person in this room that is in that state where their world crosses here, but it's bigger. It goes outside of it. It goes into the community, into the surrounding towns, into the cities. And Lord, I pray that in those spheres of influence, those places that these people walk, God, that there will be a witness, an evidence, something that shows through their life that supports their trust in you. God, that there's someone sees it and is attracted to it. We claim the radiant presence of God on every person here. We claim the trust that, that expresses itself that causes others to look and say, what does that mean? Why, why do you do that? 
I want to know about that. Because they can't get it with anything they have. They don't have a possession that will buy it. Lord, help us to go out and help us to give away eternal life. We commit ourselves to you to be vessels that you fill and that you pour out, Lord. In the name that's above every name. The name of the one who the scripture calls the the, the heaven the, the Lord of heaven's armies. God, we commit ourselves in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is so good to us. He is so good to us. Man, he's got so much in store for us. He wants to do so much. And I just, man, I'm telling you, we used to talk about just the spiritual water level, the marks. You know how you'll see where the water's gone up. You ever went on a river or lake, you'll see where high tide waters have gone and gone down. There's some high marks in this church. And I know that y'all have been in a place where you felt like the water's been real low. But I'm telling you, the tide's rising. Amen. We're going to see God do some amazing things. Amen. 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 And I wasn't referencing football just then. Okay, I wasn't. I wasn't. We're going to soar on wings as eagles. How about that? Yes. Come on. I, I, I mean, I, I give it to both of the fan bases. I, I mean. <laughs> All right. Turn around and find somebody to love on each other. God bless you.